I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we have a special awesome guest joining us, Ryan. Hello. So glad to have you back. Yes. It's been so long. I know, right? (laughs) Um, And today we watched the movie The Great Mouse Detective by Disney. Uh, This film is based on the children's book series. Huh? Disney who? Roy E. Disney. Mm. You you stop that. (laughs) (laughs) The film's based on the children's book series Basil of Baker Street by Eve Titus and Paul Galdone. Uh, Titus named the main character after actual Basil Rathbone, who will talk about him probably uh, a bit more later uh the film grossed about 50 million worldwide against a budget of over 14 million during its initial release uh it's an expensive success after its predecessor's underperformance its predecessor being the black cauldron uh gave the new management of disney confidence in the viability of their animation department even if this film was ultimately surpassed at the box office by an american tale uh, mouse against mouse. Mouse against mouse. <laughs> uh, and Fievel was awfully cute. <laughs> For sure. Was it just the Basil Rathbone thing? Wasn't there... I thought I saw something about one of Holmes's aliases being Possibly? Basil as oh. well. I didn't I didn't have that written down, but Yeah, apparently I, I kept reading this Blogspot article. Uh, yeah. <laughs> something about... Uh, what was it? The, like the mystery of black peter or something like that he he mentioned in, in that story that he went by an alias that was basil oh uh, that's great that is so cool who would like to do a brief spoiler free plot synopsis i get the f- no one said anything beforehand but i'm getting the feeling people are going to want me to do it i mean you know you often Aww, want me to do it yeah. when i'm here yeah i don't know it's up to you you're not here that often but you know okay so so it's a, a young mouse's birthday, Olivia, and her father uh, is giving her a present when uh, a toy that he made, he's a toy maker, when he is abducted by uh, a bat. Olivia tries to find uh, the great mouse detective, the titular great mouse detective, Basil of Baker Street, uh, with the help of Dr. David Dawson, a mouse soldier returning from war, and... Once they find him, uh, they set off to try and find her father and take down the evil sewer rat, <laughs> Professor Radigan. You would have made him so mad just now. <laughs> he doesn't like to be called a rat. That that kind yes, of that's a, a, it's a yes. bit of a sticking point. Uh, yes, no, that's a great one. Thank that's you great. very much, Ryan. I thought that was awesome. Very Beautiful. good. I'd clap, but yay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what did we all think of this without getting into spoilers or anything? What's our initial reaction here? I was worried. Oh? Yeah. I was worried I was not going to like this as much as I remembered liking it. I, I had watched this a lot as a child. We had this on VHS. Yes. And I was worried. I was like, you know, so much of what we watched in our childhood just had so many problems. Yeah. This one was fine for the most yeah. part. For the most part, yeah. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I I don't know if I was I would categorize it as being worried, but I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it as much. But I absolutely adore Vincent Price, and he was as great as I remembered. I wasn't too terribly worried. It's sometime in the last ten years or so. I think I've watched it and I remembered enjoying it again. But yeah, it was 
it was a delight uh, besides that one time where it slapped me in the face with the nism that I did not recall. <laughs> and just yeah. super fast, I won't be lengthy, but I think I told you all my one exciting time when I was in college, I got to see Vincent Price in person. He came to my university. I, I don't know. I think he did a talk, but I'll just, again, he just has such an incredible voice. I think I got to, sh- you know, shake his hand afterwards. He's just an incredible person. And my favorite thing is, again, him saying he'd like to be in the back end of a movie theater of one of his scary movies. And at the very and like just say how did you like it and make the people in front of him the row in front of him scream <laughs> he's he has a little uh, a twisted sense of humor yeah but he was just a he was a delight so what, what anyway. a weirdo <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no he's delightful in this movie and yeah this is a fun this is a fun little film um, I definitely little kid me wasn't wrong to enjoy it so I'm nodding I have to say that because <laughs> this is a podcast. Let's get specific, by which I mean, let me unload some production fun facts <laughs> on you. I've got a lot. I'm carrying a great burden and I need to <laughs> unload it. Please accept my gift. So the idea of doing an animated film about Sherlock Holmes with animals was first discussed during the production of The Rescuers. Makes sense. Veteran layout artist Joe Hale is credited with suggesting to adapt the children's book series Basil of Baker Street by Eve Titus, but the project fell into development limbo because of the similarities to The Rescuers. In 1982, Ron Clements proposed adapting the children's book series into an animated feature, and along with the story artist Pete Young, it was pitched to Disney president Ron Miller, who approved the project. Because the animators were displeased with the direction the Black Cauldron was heading, Basil of Baker Street was approved as an alternative project, and they started working on it. Bernie Madison and John Musker were assigned as the original directors, while Dave Meichner or something was uh, also added as co-director. Miller became the producer for the film. With uh, the departure of Miller in 1984, the board of directors appointed, of course, Michael Eisner to become the new CEO, and Eisner recruited former production uh, head Jeffrey Katzenberg to become studio chairman, a story that we've heard many times with the movies in this era. Mm -hmm. Following a story reel screening of Basil, Eisner and Katzenberg complained about the slow pacing of the story and ordered for rewrites before animation would commence. Although the intended release was set for Christmas 1987, Eisner slashed the projected production budget at $24 million and half, and it was greenlit at $10 million and moved the release date up to July 1986, giving the production team one year to complete the film. Oh my gosh. Yeah. To replace Miller, who had been the producer, feature animation chairman Roy E. Disney assigned Mattinson to serve as director-producer, but finding both tasks were too laborious, Mattinson decided to remain as producer. Musker and Meissner uh, remained as directors, but with the shortened production schedule, Clements became an additional director, which is important because now we have Musker and Clements coming together. They would work together to do other films, and uh, we know about their passion project that they eventually got to do these these two men got to come together and work on this film uh following the box office underperformance of the 1985 paramount amblin film young sherlock holmes eisner decided to rename basil of baker street into the great mouse detective feeling the name basil was 
to English. The retitling of the film proved to be so unpopular with the filmmakers that animator Ed Gombert wrote a satirical interoffice memo, allegedly by studio executive Peter Schneider, which gave preceding Disney films generic titles such as Seven Little Men Help a Girl, The Wonderful <laughs> Elephant Who Could Really Fly, The Little Deer Who Grew Up, The Girl with the See-Through Shoes, Two Dogs Fall in Love, Puppies Taken Away, and A Boy, A Bear, and a Big Black Cat. I love the Patty in their office <laughs> communication. Yeah, especially uh, when it like gets out and like now everyone gets to know. Love it's, it. That's awesome. A boy, a bear, and a big black, black cat is actually a great title. <laughs> it really is pretty great. It's very evocative. <laughs> oh my god! Um, and then, then a few more things focusing in on the characters. The first idea for the victim uh, was for Olivia, who at the time was an older and potential love interest whom Dawson falls for. But Miller ended up suggesting that the character be a little girl, someone the audience can feel sorry for instead, which is probably a good choice. I didn't really need to see a love interest thing happening here. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the dropped characters that was originally proposed was a stool pigeon who always hung around Buckingham Palace and tipped Basil off about the skullduggery. The writers dropped the character, deciding for Basil to instead figure stuff out for himself, which is probably good. I don't think we needed Mm -mm. that addition. Basil was first modeled on Bing Crosby, but the animators eventually took inspiration from Leslie Howard. I don't really know in my head what either of those two people look like. But for anyone that can picture them, there you go. Or if you want to Google them. Um, Initially, Radigan had been designed as thin, weaselly, and rat-like, which makes sense with his whole deal. Following the casting of uh, Vincent Price, though, Glenn Keane commented that his expressive voice and attitude inspired us to further redesign the character. Additionally, during one story meeting, Keane decided to uh, base the stature of Radigan on then-Disney CEO Ron Miller, who was a 6x6 former uh, football player for the Los Angeles Rams. Oh my goodness. Furthermore, Keane lifted his personality as he was thumbing through these uh, photographs of people of London in the 1800s, of railroad men, and there was this one guy smoking a cigar. He had a top hat, and there was just something about this guy, this rat again, (laughs) this rat sucking the cigar, completely dressed to the hilt. He was sharp and perfect. He's a sewer rat dressed like a king, and he lives as a king. It's just some fun behind the scenes things with how they arrived at the rat again we know and love today. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, I think that's all of my notes for this part. So let's <laughs> let's yeah, let's start talking about the story and the characters and stuff. I have a question. Uh-huh. If the rescuers existed in in this timeline, what would that be like? Like I th- with Basil. I think I think this is the same universe. This is just in eighteen ninety seven instead of, you know, yeah. The yeah, 60s. so this is in the past. Uh, wait, of you, that universe. Do you think Olivia helped start the the rescuers organization? That sounds totally I certainly reasonable. Do to now. Oh. I certainly do think that now. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Founding member Olivia Flaversham. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. I love that. That's Thank yeah. you for that. Oh, that's adorable. Why not make all mice movies happen the same thing? American Tale <laughs> takes place in this universe too. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I think you can make that fit fairly reasonably. (laughs) That's all. Thank you, babe. Thank you. Um, I thought that the way that the film opened was a very stark way to open a a film for children, uh, particularly, you know, 
it starts happy, obviously, but then, you know, he gets kidnapped or whatever, and she comes out, and then she's just, like, calling for her father as the camera pans out, and there's, like, I don't think there's even any music at the point at that point. She's just like calling for him. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's 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 no music as it pans out. Yeah, she's just like and then and then and then yeah. the main and then theme bam, pops up. <laughs> just yeah. like bam with that main theme. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating way to do your opening. I I enjoyed it. We we don't see the main character for for a decent bit really which is interesting yeah i think that's good i I think so you know the guy like that's the anticipation of building up to like okay what is he like and Uh, also like generally mysteries start that way like you gotta know okay what's going on why is this guy required and then we meet dawson next and i don't i don't feel like we really needed his his narration there in the beginning it felt a little bit just like there to not have it be quiet i i disagree i i think it's there because they're leaning into the uh watson as a biographer of holmes thing yeah i get that that's that is so common in every adaptation i think they were literally just 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 continuing that it's it's he's literally telling the story he's writing it down Uh, i get that and i appreciated it at the end but i i don't know it felt but, but he's retelling him. this very first case. I didn't necessarily need to know that until the yes, end. But How would you have known that he just came back from Afghanistan? Doesn't doesn't literally Basil say that later? No. But you wouldn't have known about it. I think Basil literally says that later. <laughs> yes, but you wouldn't have known it was so prescient if you didn't already know that. <laughs> I didn't need to know it was so prescient, but... I, I, I agree that it's based on, like, the biographer. Like, it is a trope of the Sherlock Holmes story uh, structure. Um, I understand what you're saying. I guess I per- I would prefer that he was saying something more interesting then. I mean, that's... Yeah. Um, I also, by the way, this was, and, and we'll talk, you know, story, all that good stuff, but um, it was, they didn't just take one year, by the way, to take it because in that... Um, the end thing we saw, they said they took four years. So somewhere. Yeah, they sure kind of lied about that, didn't they? Yeah. They, or rather they were probably counting like pre-production. The point at which it was okay to start (laughs) rather than the actual. They only got one Because when they say that, everyone's like, oh, they animated this over four years, which isn't the case. Oh, they just still got the one year. As far as animating it, yes. Uh, Principal animation, yeah, probably. Yeah. No, they they basically, it sounds like, based on some of the notes that I read, that they they basically had it storyboarded out and stuff, and that's what they showed to Eisner and Katzenberg, and then Eisner and Katzenberg wanted them to make changes before they actually started the animation, which, unlike how Katzenberg tried to mess with Black Cauldron, yes, that's the point at which you make those changes before animation has actually commenced. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, then I'm even more impressed that they just... Basically, I think there's a couple points in this film. We can talk about it more in animation, uh, but I do think there's a couple points in this film where you can feel the limited budget. Sure. Um, but I think overall they do a great job with the budget that they were given and yeah. and, and the time. Yeah, and one of the I mean we'll get it, get to it I guess, but one of the the primary ways that they managed to pump it out in a year was because of the computer assisted animation stuff that they ended yes. up doing. Yes, and again, we will definitely get into that. Back with story character stuff, 
did the narration say and I missed it? Where was Dawson actually going before he met Olivia? Nowhere specific. He was looking for a place to stay. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. A boarding house or something. And then he's like, oh, I'll just get caught up in adventure. Why not? Yeah, yeah, because Olivia got lost, so we don't yes. know where exactly he was going. He just ran across her mm-hmm. and then went to Baker Street. It yeah. was so great. It was so great that... I, she's still a child, so, you know, she still gets lost and stuff, but it's not like she was just wandering around like, where's my daddy? She had yeah. a plan. She yes. had a place yes. to go. Yes. <laughs> she's just yes. not good at navigating the city yet. Which is fair. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I liked that, that she was a pretty competent little girl for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basil is very dramatic, and I love that for him. So much. He's a, a lot. Yes. He's so much. When he first came in, and I, then I remembered, I thought, I, I think this is him. I uh-huh. thought I remembered that. But yeah, what oh, a wild looking We'll, we'll talk character. in a different section about when he first comes in. Yeah, what 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 he was wearing, you mean? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. But I loved, I just, I loved the whole scene with, with the chairs and the fireplace and the, you know, him getting in his robe and, and him, him getting know. so upset by the bullets not match, matching up and he just slumps in his chair and yes. the, uh, the arm just comes out and grabs the violin and pulls it Yes, in. yes. such a queen, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally yeah. unstable. Could not help but think that about him the entire movie. <laughs> I, I like the the bullet comparison scene, but it's just at the the briefest amount of applied logic. It doesn't make any sense. Why why would they match when you're holding them at a mirror? Like if if, if they uh, match, then that means they're mirror opposites of each other, right? and they're not the same gun. Like, <laughs> yeah. your your test is flawed. <laughs> yes, yeah, I don't know. It's very silly. <laughs> I also really, really enjoyed uh, Radigan's characterization, and one of my one of my favorite things about his character is his constant fight to maintain control. Him starting to lose it and then pull it back, smoothing his hair, and then mm-hmm. you know, yeah, smoothing hair and and all. In that sense, I guess that reminds me of of Hades in Hercules, you know, where he'd oh, like sure. blows that off and then he'd calm back down. Um, but, but I also like that because even from the perspective of, all right, to get the, what, what I want, I can't just murder everyone who ticks me off or I can't, whatever. Yeah, he's, he's I'm going to criminal master. Exactly. So yes, yeah. <laughs> not, not a, just a murderer. He does murder. Death toll, uh, gets up to one, not too terribly long into the film, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Which begs the question, too, why it was so upsetting to him to be called a rat. I just mean, now, I understand he wanted to be the leader or what he, I forgot what he said, but the dictator, in essence, but over all of the, all of Mystem, but were rats, like, looked down upon in this society? I think you have to assume that there is definitely some sort of stigma attached to the label of rat. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's double interesting because, uh, from what I read in the source material, he is a mouse. He's just really big. Oh, oh really? Interesting. I, I don't. Wow. I've actually read the book, so I don't know if if in the book he he is sometimes called a rat just because of his like size or whatever, and that's yeah, why he's he sensitive. He's like, I'm not a rat. Whereas here, he's oh. definitely a rat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah but there, yeah, there definitely has to be some sort of stigma against rats in this world for for his 
reaction about that to make any sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I always love a good, you are not coming, and then cut to the person coming kind of gag. Yeah. yeah. It's always, that's always fun. Like from Freakazone. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Just, that's one of those gags that, like, I can always tell it's about to happen, and yet it's still funny to me every time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it hits like that. <laughs> Dawson is a bit of a Bernard, isn't he? For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I the, the the time where I actually wrote this down was when they're riding on Toby and he's like clinging to the back, and I'm just like, that's like Bernard in Rescuers oh, yeah. Down Under clinging to the back of whatever animal that they're riding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's lots of smoking in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drinking. Good guys well. and bad guys. Yeah. Good guy smokes pipe. Bad guy smokes yeah. cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, pipes are more sophisticated. Question. I thought it was a cigar though that he was smoking, or Radigan was smoking. No, cigar. okay. Was it a cigar? I, I don't. I didn't remember if it was a cigar or a cigarillo. Well, no, I, think I, it, I feel like it, he's it, had both. No, yeah, you no, you may be correct. I think he had, had a multiple cigarette. things. That's yeah. fair, actually. Oh, I like this. Is this is almost to our spoiler warning? But I liked that. Basil being 15 minutes late is the justification for Radigan leaving him alone in the death trap. Yes. Like, you know, in a lot of in a lot of things, it feels like there's not really a justification besides just hubris that the the villain leaves the hero alone to inevitably escape a death trap. But here it's like, well, he has a strict schedule. He's made that clear throughout the movie. And Basil was late, so he can't stay. TV tropes like. Of course, list this. I, I I glanced over TV tropes for this for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, uh, bond, bond villain paradox uh, justified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it happens, but hey, they they justify it. Yeah, like there was there was a logical reason. Yeah, and I love that, that how he had a camera set up, though, so he could see what happened and and, you know, yeah, the end scene. But yeah, that was great. Can we talk about how uh, good and precious a cat Felicia is? Yes, I love her. (laughs) What a delight and good cat she is. Just because she likes to eat mice, it's literally her nature. Why are we mad at her? Yeah, like, I know that we have to live in a universe where where we're moralistically judging that. But, like, from human morality standards, she's a good kitty and I uh, appreciate her. She's very good. She's well trained. She she's not attacking yeah. things. She she has a cue. She's been she, yeah, she a, even spits out food when told to. She's begrudging of it, but she does spit the food out. So what a, what a good precious kitty. Yes. I wonder how uh, Radigan and her like. I want to know that there? story because especially the 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 making of thing. He mentions that they like came up with like the backstories for these characters and stuff, and I'm like, I want to know the backstory you came up uh, uh, with for Felicia and Radigan and how they met. Maybe they were both starving somewhere and they helped each other survive. Who I knows? Would love to hear that. <laughs> I want. I want. Does someone has someone written this fanfic? I know, like maybe he rescued her. Maybe like she was she was being attacked and he helped rescue her, and then that's why even though she was starving, she didn't eat. Him. How much fanfic for this movie is just Basil and Radigan or Basil and Dawson? <laughs> I don't know. Like most of it probably is going to be my 80%? guess. Yeah, that's my guess. If that's yeah. both of them, eighty percent. Which is maybe a low, a low. You think, I mean, Basil and Radigan's probably more, right? Like, I know that, I know that Sherlock and Watson is, like, typically, like, 
the highest one, but I feel like this particular iteration, it's probably likely to be a little more mm. Radigan and Basil, but I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. Let's talk some about the voice acting. Um, I thought Olivia's little accent was very, very cute. It was very well done. It felt like it went in and out, but she it did go in and out a little bit, or maybe just was like I I don't know. I think she Suzanne Politchek. I think it might be her actual accent. I don't know. They they. I don't know. She sounded a little different. They sometimes. they took they auditioned quite a few children before they landed on her, but it didn't, I don't think it actually said whether or not that's her actual accent or not. I don't know, but she was But no, it did seem stronger at various points. Basil is voiced by Barry Ingham, basically following a succession of American and British actors who read for the part of Basil, Royal Shakespeare actor Barry Ingham won the role within six minutes of his audition. Oh, uh, awesome. a, com- a compelling portion of that audition was then used in the fi- in the finished film. Aww. That's how much they enjoyed it. Oh, wow. yeah, I really like him. <laughs> you know, he does a fin- he does a great job. I loved whenever they were doing the chemistry thing, and he just had to vamp of like, "Okay, okay, no, 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 yeah, yes, go, go, go." go. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And it's like you can believe it because he's just kind of an impatient guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Radigan of of course Vincent Price. Uh, when the filmmakers watched the 1950 comedy film Champagne for Caesar to study Ronald Coleman's performance as a possible model for Basil, they immediately decided to cast Vincent Price, who also starred in the film as Radigan, uh-huh. uh, a veteran actor for 52 years. Price was willing to do an audition, commenting, "If anybody but Disney had asked me, I would have been offended." <laughs> <laughs> um, so did they he, have him do an audition? I mean, they probably auditioned, auditioned? him, but uh, I he was probably like their first audition uh, for the part. Mm. Major Doctor David Q. Dawson <laughs> is voiced by Val Benton. Uh, he also voiced uh, one of Insulted. the group of Radigan thugs, uh, mm. thugs, and yeah, he was uh, co-director Ron Clement's first choice for the character, um, and yeah, he as. Ryan pointed out he's also known as the voice of the Sultan from um, for from Aladdin in most things from the 90s outside of the original movie. Oh, oh okay. Uh, he is not the original voice of the Sultan, but in the animated series, in both of the sequels, and in various miscellaneous things in the 90s, uh, he's... He plays the Sultan. So we are, if you've seen multiple mini Aladdin things, you're probably more used to his voice as Sultan than you are. I think Douglas Seal or something like that uh, was the original voice actor. It's interesting. It's a good match. I hadn't realized that because when I was hearing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally hear that being the Sultan. Exactly. Like you can hear it because, yeah, he sounds he sounds like the Sultan. Uh, Fidget is voiced by Candy Candido. Uh, following a voice test, veteran voice artist Candy Candido recorded his dialogue for Fidget in one hour. To heighten the pitch, the tape recording of his voice was sped up. Uh, you can actually hear his natural voice uh, in one particular scene in the bar when a character uh, shouts, get off you eight-legged bum. Uh, that's oh. that's his that's okay. what his voice sounded like before it was sped up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if that voice line was originally supposed to be fidget or not. Um, but yeah, that's him. Uh, and in no, that's actually going to be for spoilers. But remind me that I have to say another thing about fidget once we get to the spoilers. Fidget's good. Here, fidget's good the whole time. Yeah, 
I yeah. yeah, he's wonderful. The list is good. His voice is good. Yeah, Fidget's definitely one of the most memorable characters from here. Um, and a movie filled with memorable characters, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Hiram Flaversham is, of course, Alan Young, uh, who was selected to voice Hiram because of his authentic Scottish brogue. Uh, and you will also know him as the main voice of Scrooge McDuck for over 30 years. Mm. Hmm. Sherlock Holmes does talk briefly in this movie in that one scene, and he is voiced by Basil Rathbone, who had already, was already years dead before the film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. Um, Basil Rathbone, of course, had played Sherlock Holmes in, in like fourteen different Hollywood films made between nineteen thirty nine and nineteen forty six. Uh, the voice clip that they uh, used of him was specifically taken from the 1966 Cademan Records recording of the Sherlock Holmes story, The Red-Headed League. Hmm. Okay. Uh, they didn't get the original voice actor for Watson, because uh, I guess he wasn't in that particular story, at least that voice actor, the one who, the guy who was... Uh, Nigel Bruce. Yes, who played him in the movies along with Basil Rathbone. They didn't seem to have recordings that they wanted to use voice-wise for him in this, so they... Just had a new person uh, do that, Laurie Main. Uh, oh, who actually you'll know is the narrator in Winnie the Pooh and a Day for Eeyore, the fourth <laughs> of the Winnie the Pooh ones that had a different narrator. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, also, fun little thing is that uh, a couple more of Radigan's thugs were voiced by Wayne Allwine and Tony Anselmo, who you will also know as Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Oh, wow. They're just in there. Not doing their Mickey and Donald voices, obviously. <laughs> but they are in there. One of Radigan's people was, was voiced by Alan Young. Did you already say that? Uh, I don't Bartholomew. Remember if I, if I said that? Oh, that yeah, Bartholomew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Bartholomew. Yes. He went and upset him. Um, who, what was the name of the house, house lady, the landlord or whatever for, mm. at Baker Street? Mrs. Judson? Judson. Yeah. 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 As opposed to Mrs. Yeah, Hudson. Like, yes. I know, yeah. They've all got to be a little bit off. I think she had the best line, uh, whenever they asked if that was 212 and a half Baker Street or whatever. And, the, and then if, yeah if he was there yeah and she, she, well yeah was this his place she was like i'm afraid so yeah really funny. <laughs> you're like oh this woman she is put upon <laughs> yeah she's holding stuff that includes a mace yes <laughs> okay i assume you're going to continue down the list a little bit um i think those are all the ones that i specifically had notes on so if you have any others you want to call out in particular well of course the quintessential voice actor for animals. Oh, I can't believe I forgot to mention that. Yes. <laughs> Bo- both Toby and uh, Felicia. Thank you. Both Toby and Felicia voiced by Frank Welker. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. There's some recorded sounds uh, from some dog sounds and some cat sounds, but, oh, sure, but other, you know, other bits and pieces that needed to fill, fill stuff. Frank Welker. Good old Frank Welker. <laughs> I even remember when I was writing down the notes for this movie, I was like, ah, there he is. <laughs> um, yeah, was there, were there any other particularly notable ones in, in our voice cast here? There's Queen Mouse Toria, Eve Brenner, but I don't know. I don't know much about her, but uh, she's, she was there. She had a small part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, uh, the other singing ma- That's mouse. That's true. The, Miss, the Miss Kitty Mouse. Miss Kitty Mouse. Indeed, that is what 
what her name apparently is. They, they they don't list it in the in the credits that way, but apparently they, she's become known that way because uh, a uh, an illustration board of her, a production illustration, had her labeled that way. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. And yes, of course, that's Melissa Manchester uh, sings the who sings the song and everything. Yeah, and and it was also I think we made note of this before. But Vincent Price sang his own songs as Matt, hmm. as Radigan. Yes. So that was Yeah, there's only three fun. songs in the movie, and two of them are sung by Radigan. So. Yeah, that was, that <laughs> Two was villain really songs fun. in this movie. Really fun. I guess you could almost, you could sort of say that there's four, but one is just a reprise of one of those villain songs. So, you guys ready to talk about some animation? Yes. Sure. Okay, you better believe that I have some more notes on that. <laughs> It's a really good animation. This film was the last work to feature Eric Larson as an animation consultant before his retirement. Larson was the last of Disney's Nine Old Men, the group that had defined much of Disney's theatrical direction since the 1930s. The character of Dr. Dawson was modeled on Larson as a tribute. Oh, That's so nice. And then my other main big note there is for, for the spoiler section, because obviously I have some notes on the computer animation that's used in this film. Mm-hmm. But we will wait until later for that. Um, I like that Olivia has a little bow under her hat. Just oh, like yes. She takes off the hat that she'd been wearing, and it's like, oh, she has a little bow. Um, so that you make sure you know she's a little girl. Because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have, like, hair otherwise, you know? Because they're mice. Uh, Radigan's animation is just so good all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like... All those expressions and his movements and all of it is very good constantly. One of my favorite early animation things early in the film uh, was the portrait of Radigan in yes. Basil's study. Like, yes. one, why? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> why it's not a have... newspaper clipping. Nope, no. it's a portrait. <laughs> It's not only a portrait, it's like embossed. Like, right? The, it's, you got it's it. weird. The portrait He's is embossed. He's either stolen the, the it from him or he didn't steal it from him <laughs> and he had it made. <laughs> no, or honestly. It was given to him. Exactly. Oh, That's exactly mm, what I think it is. That, mm, like, it's, he's not in the papers because Radigan's too good to ever, like, get accused in a way that would be publicized. And just as this kind of cat and mouse thing goes back and forth, Radigan cheekily... It's a beautiful picture. Yeah, yes. Cheekily just gives him this portrait of himself. Yeah, that... uh, I I like that explanation. Um, I love that. Yeah. I also... Headcanon set. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just... I, I know I... I mentioned this earlier, but I absolutely love the animation, though, on Radigan as he fights for control, smooths down his hair, eyes start to bulge or maybe even go red, teeth come out, and then all of a sudden he calms back down and all of that. And I won't give away, but in spoilers, there's just an even greater transformation that happens when he gets angry. So I just love, I love that. One of, one of my favorite iterations of that is is um when they're capturing basil and he has this big smile on and then basil calls him a rat and 
and he actually doesn't change. He just keeps the smile and it just holds on him for like slightly too long. Like you can feel, (laughs) you can like feel inside the struggle that's happening. And then, yeah, that watch closes and he like pulls back up and he doesn't, he doesn't lose it there, but you can feel (laughs) that it is a struggle. He's like, now, now, Radigan, you've won won here. He can't take this from you. He's just trying to hurt you. Oh, and and two another thing that I loved on his transformation, but not quite. It was I maybe it was to the end of the song or something where he sings or he does it and he does this dramatic pose, but his hair gets all messed up. And he, it was early and, in the song. Was that early in the? I, th- no. I think no. It was like it was back on the, the stage. It was I the very end the when end. he was on the stage, and then it like messes up and 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 it freezes on him with his hair messed up and him almost looking crazy before. I guess then the song's completely over, and then he comes back and smooths down his hair. No, that was at the beginning of the song. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, oh, and oh, yes, it's oh, the beginning okay. of the song. The song stops and starts a lot, so okay. it's like fair okay. to like okay. get it mixed up. But no, that's the, okay. like the beginning. But that was just so funny because he, no, he because so- <laughs> it looked so manic. It yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah, he's. I mean, we could talk all about him being so dramatic. We like, really could. Him and brings, Basil, they're just both so dramatic. When he brings. Uh, Olivia to the father to like show her. He like puts his cape down and then he like reveals her. It's like clearly he discussed this with with Fidget beforehand. Like, I'm going to hold my cloak up. Yes. And when I do, you'll, you'll walk in behind me. He probably barely had to discuss it because, like, I'm sure this is not the first time. Like, Fidget knows what's up. All right, That's Fidget, maneuver number two. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly that. Yes. I love your voice, Ryan. Um, you know, too, I will say, out of villains, this is, to me, one of the best uses of a cape because oh, Radigan yeah. rocks that cape. He really does. On uh, not a Radigan note, Lots of creepiness in that in the toy shop, uh, which is there's some sound effects that definitely add to it, too. But like the animation is really like they have some stuff, especially one of the ones like where that doll head like smashes apart and like part of it like rolls towards the that's so creepy. I move. Yeah. Lots Lots of creepy. Can you imagine the matte paintings they used for this? Like, oh, man, making these matte paintings for these backgrounds from this short little mouse perspective. Yes. Those have got to be cool. I'd love to oh, see yeah. those. Oh, uh, yeah. I would love, God, like I would weird, love an art weird book. Weird realism. Ugh. Yes. Why yeah. can dolls be so creepy? Oh, my gosh. They're just... Uncanny Valley. Oh. can be really creepy. Yeah, Uncanny yeah. Valley. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even with that perspective, they did that with Felicia on her introduction of just her... Uh, Absolutely massive. Yes, her, her altered proportions based on, like, the small... You know, my Vantage stature. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that was that was interesting. The part where they're following Fidget through the pipes and the camera just like scans over some pipes to the side mm-hmm. and then upwards. And then there's that one baby bit of animation. I feel like that probably uh, was very useful for their animation budget. That sure. scene there. <laughs> yeah, it works. And also... Almost no animation. Mm-hmm. Almost none. <laughs> Just one big matte painting and like a baby little animation thing. Good for them. Toby was a good boy. He, his animation yes. was lots of fun. Oh, yes, with the ear. Mm-hmm. Clearly pulling oh, on a lot I'm... of other... Oh, yeah, the ear stares. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. That was great. Uh, and pulling on a lot of other uh, 
dog animation they've they've clearly worked on to to really make him shine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I loved his little stature. Like he was a, a little stout boy. He was <laughs> both the, both the both Toby and Felicia were like kind of chunky, short little things. Yeah. I love that for them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, interestingly, I think the shape of Toby as a particular expression of the Basset Hound is apparently anachronistic. Oh, ah. that's the fascinating. Basset Hounds didn't look that way back then. Uh, I don't really have a lot more details. Apparently their ears yeah. weren't quite that long, but... Uh, but yeah, no dog breeds evolve, so yeah, that's... <laughs> it's just a weird, a weird anachronism that, you know, there's no reason to, to notice, but happens to yeah. be true. Hmm. Very interesting. I wonder if... Because uh, this is uh, Sherlock's dog, right? Yes. Does he just know that it goes off some places? I mean... Sherlock, if he has a dog that interacts with these mice, Sherlock must know. Sherlock has to know about the mice world. <laughs> he has to. He's gotta. He can't. He can't not. <laughs> he's tri- he's tried to tell Watson about it, and Watson's like, "Now, Sherlock, you're a ge- you're a genius, and I and I appreciate that." That's insanity. You're talking <laughs> craziness right here. The, oh, the Need to do less of now. the drugs. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and Sherlock's like, no, you don't understand. I have this whole. His I, name I've, is Basil. Uh, He's very brilliant. I've too. Written so many things. Don't understand. <laughs> He's also a detective. No. Why did you create this tiny little newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Any other animation things before? Oh, all I was just gonna say is, uh, you made a reference to. Olivia starting the um, the Rescuers Society. Yes. I love this, that it started off with Dawson. Dawson. Dawson, Dawson oh, being underneath the carriage, reading the paper, uh, mimicking the humans above him, which is what Rescuers Down Under does constantly, What you know, whatever. You realize that it was almost certainly Watson that was above him too, right? Oh, no, I just didn't mm-hmm. realize. Yeah, okay, that's right, because they were, yeah, yep. paralleling those. So that was just great, because to me, to, that's kind of a, I don't know, a cute shout out to, uh, to yeah, Rescuers. Yeah, that's just how these, these mice worlds work. Yeah. This is always an interesting one to discuss with mice movies. What would this movie be like in live action? How would you do that? And also why? Yeah. Especially just, why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're good, if it's going to be about mice, there's just no reason. No, yeah. Nowadays, nowadays especially, it would just it would be a, you know, a CG animated situation. Right. And it would just be like what's the point? It's like even live action Lady and the Tramp, I can understand on some level. Like, I get that to some people it could be enjoyable watching a realistic dog, like act in ways that you don't get to see them actually normally act. But like right. with this, you'd have to tramp, like they're not like highly anthropomorphized, they're, right? Exactly. They're still dogs in a human world mostly, but they're highly anthropomorphized mice. So yep. it's just wearing little clothes and stuff. It's like why? So I think with. Uh, the difference between like this and the rescuers is that with the rescuers they interact with the the little girl like that's who they are rescuing and all of that there's there's none of that here it's fully encapsulated into their yeah all the little, humans are peripheral little mouse world yeah and and you have the nods to sherlock you have the nods to watson but they're in silhouette or very like 
they're not the focus. And so if you made it like real world, it would be very hard not to focus on them unless you like, again, do it in shadow and stuff. And yeah, that just kind of continues to beg the question of like, okay, why are you going to do that when these little guys are the focus? Like even with the, the other like mouse related films and live action, Stuart Little, stuff like that, like they are interacting, interacting with, with humans. humans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just not necessary here. Yeah, it it feels like it would just make your job harder, honestly. And, and the, like, with the animation, you can play with the scale, you can fudge it, and you can't really do that in live action. And so it would, yeah, it would, it would be harder. Definitely. What if mm-hmm. it were just completely live action? Okay. They had essentially real-looking mice. They look like okay. real mice. The only thing about them is that one of them is wearing a bowler hat. One of them is wearing a deerstalker. One of them is wearing a little bow tie. They don't speak. They make little mouse squeaks. <laughs> Feel like and, you'd have okay. more of an art the, film here, and, maybe? And the whole movie <laughs> proceeds as if they're doing all the things they're doing in this animated movie, but all we hear are, are mouse squeaks. Now, I would love to watch that. I'm not sure if that's commercially viable. You just have the you just have a realistic bat doing you know stuff. What? The smallest bat you can find, I guess. I don't know. On with TikTok. the peg leg. With yes. the peg leg. <laughs> this would be a good TikTok. Uh, you have to CG the peg like leg. Like amalgamation. So there's no animal cruelty. Just different people doing clips of it, and, and you put it together. Yes, I can see that. Like that sort of budget where somebody's like, I have some mice. They have hats. <laughs> and let's just like finagle them into these situations. I love it. Oh gosh. Um, but uh, for Radigan, I mean, he, he'd have to have a cape. Yep. He does have to have the cape, yeah. Just, just, okay. just a rat in the cape, guys. <laughs> Enough of this. <laughs> just, just throw that into that song. <laughs> let's talk about sound design. Uh, I only have one sound effect thing, and then I have fun fact. The part uh, during where they're in the toy shop, and there's the giant toys, and it cuts to, like, two different ones and does, like, this weird sound effect that feels... I don't even remember what it sounds like now. I just remember that it sounded off-putting and not, like, correct for what was happening. It was just, like, a weird, loud, like, chime or something almost as it cut to like these two different ones oh, I didn't... like scary or something it wasn't even scary like it didn't feel like the mood was a it was appropriate for the mood it felt weird how did we not talk about the the dumbo car- uh, uh... oh yeah 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 there is a there is a the little nod. dumbo nod in here yeah uh my fun fact though is about the fact that the composer, Mancini, uh, composed a song for the movie titled Are You the One Who Loves Me to serve as a parody of a Victorian British musical. Already in rough animation, the song was recorded by Shawnee Wallace. However, Katzenberg and the new management desired a more contemporary song as they would help make the film as that would help make the film more marketable. Michael Jackson was considered by Eisner to voice a character who would enter the saloon, confront Basil, and sing a song at the tavern, but the suggestion was met with uncomfortable silence, and Eisner withdrew the idea. Oh my God. Eisner later proposed for Madonna to perform the song. Yeah. Eventually, oh. Melissa Manchester was brought in, and she wrote and performed Let Me Be Good to You. The rough animation had to be retimed and often reanimated to properly sync with the song, so it sounds like the basic... Uh, way that that scene went out stayed the same. They just 
changed it to a different song. That's interesting, because that was definitely her mouse's mannerisms did not match to me with the emphasis or emotion with the song. It felt like her her facial stuff, her mouth, sh- mouth should have been bigger. Like, that felt disconnected to me. I could see that a bit. Like, the movement, sure, but, like, her attitude or, or something. It felt like she should have had more attitude or something. I do enjoy the sexy mouse so- dance and song, though. Of course. Yeah. And that was... And that was um, a formative moment for a young child. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just revealing so much. You're like, Oh, look at all these formative moments. Take a shot. It's really a pretty racy song for Disney. She literally says, Hey fellas, I'll take off all my blues. Blues. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. As she, which is also at the point at which she removes part of her outfit. So like, which is of course all blue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it, Dawson? He liked it too. Yes, Dawson oh, clearly yeah, liked it too. You know who didn't seem to really have any particular feeling towards it at all, which is interesting. interesting. That would be Basil. Yeah. Seemed completely like eh, whatever about that. I just find that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just find that interesting that he seems completely uninterested. Not indicative of anything in particular. Yeah, it's just you know I think it's interesting <laughs> he, when a guy I shows think. absolutely no attraction to a really sexy lady that everyone else on the scene seems to be fawning over. Well, I mean, when a, a cute child is trying to ask for his help, he didn't give two cares. Yeah, because he, he doesn't like children. Case. But it is very Holmesian to not. To to, oh, to to just not pick up on a lot of the same social cues that everyone else does. Oh, 100 Yeah, and two is remember they had a backstory on him, which we don't know, that maybe desensitized him to his, you know, his surroundings. The backstory is that he's gay. <laughs> I forgot this when we were talking animation or story, but isn't it weird that people in that bar had mouse-sized tomatoes and watermelons. <laughs> yeah, I do want to know where they're growing this. How? How? How do you have... I mean, they have mouse-sized, like there was a, what, in Basil's home, just like teapots, science stuff. But that's all stuff you can crafted. make. Yeah, anything crafted. But these I are can... grown food products that don't naturally grow at that size. They Especially not ripe. No. Yeah. <laughs> They, they shave off part of a tomato seed and it, plant it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't what? know. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? There's, there's Mom, I think we need to have a talk about tomatoes. about science. I know, I know. Don't grow because they're so tiny. Oh, my God. The mice can grow them. Uh-huh. Because they're just the right size. Um, I loved Radigan. Being like, so uh, what'll happen here is first the song that I recorded for you, Especially. which it, isn't at all a weird thing for someone to do at all, like to <laughs> record a full song with like a band playing as and singing to their enemy. So anyways, that's going to play and then this whole thing's going to happen and you're going to die. so excited. <laughs> like, they could have leaned into that harder if it, if it were up to me. Like, the whole yes. part where he's like, oh, I really wanted to, to watch this happen, but I have to right. leave. And he's really excited about showing him the thing he was going to yes. do. Yes. 
Also, the song, if you, because the full version, you know, that's not playing from a record player. It's a slightly old timey sounding and like isn't interrupt is interrupted by scene changes and them talking over it. If you listen to the full song, it's a bop. It's a good it's, song. Yeah. Yeah. There, <laughs> and he does he has like full like instruments playing with him and everything as he's singing. So like he had to he's had that, right? Like I don't think he had time to do that today. Oh no, he was probably he's thinking had about that. it when he was taking the photo for the picture that he gave to him. He's like, oh, I got a great idea for a song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I know I'm gonna find a scenario to use this. For sure. <laughs> yes, because he's just a great mess. It would either be like, okay, maybe I, you know, pull off the biggest heist and then I send it to him as like, a, I, I've done it like you know, goodbye. Yeah. I, I did it. But no. Found the perfect use. He found the perfect use. Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? Yeah, I definitely forgot about that racism there at the beginning when Basil walks into the room. Just as surprised as Dawson. Uh, just as surprised as Dawson. Maybe for different reasons. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> Just so glad he didn't do a voice. I'm so glad he didn't do a voice because it was already bad enough. And then it's like me just like thinking to myself that they still thought that was okay in the 2000s in like the second Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr. Because he also dresses as an Asian person at one point in that film. That must have been um, one of the stories. I, oh, I I'm sure it is, but it doesn't justify continuing oh, no, no. to do it. No, 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 not at all. I'm just, oh, I, yeah. I tried looking It has up, to be, though. I tried looking up which one it was in. I'm like, what? Which advent, Which Sherlock Holmes mystery did he just come from? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that justifies this even remotely, and even then yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. doesn't. Yeah, the 80s was like the decade of like, okay, we've realized that, that like... We can't be super duper racist, except still to Asian people sometimes, because both this and all dogs go to heaven. You'll recall the cyan bit during the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the dog song towards the beginning. Like, we're still doing it in the 80s. Thanks, mm-hmm. guys. And uh, the Aristocats. Yes. That's 70s, I think, maybe. But it was before this, but it was still. Right. Yep. Still doing it. Um, we don't need to talk about Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> um, yeah. <sighs> Bummer. Um, in less fraught things, um, when Toby first appears, it's kind of the moment where you can put two and two together and realize that this movie is definitely going to have a dogs versus cats thing. And it's going to have the Felicia be the evil one that's going to get chased and come up and it's from Toby. Which is a hundred percent what happens. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Cats are evil. Yeah. Later in the film, she gets chased away by Toby and she like jumps up on a wall and it's like, Oh, I escaped. And then like hops back down. And it's apparently like where a bunch of guard dogs are or whatever. And, oh no, the cat is getting mauled. I don't know. Potentially <laughs> like, great. killed. Hilarious. Yay. There's there's death count in this movie, and that might be one of them. I don't know. But... I want to believe she escapes. Just like she jumped up on the wall, she jumps up. Maybe, yeah, she got hurt. It's just but... the idea that a cat's gonna not, is just gonna jump into a pit of dogs and not realize is dumb but whatever but yeah it's just eye rolly it's like do we have to do this with dogs and cats you guys made aristocats you clearly don't hate cats it's just 
Just, we just got to do this, I guess. Yeah, anything else from any of you guys for this section? I feel like besides those things, overall it holds up pretty well. I think so, yeah. There, there's yeah. lady scoundrels in the, in the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when the fight scene breaks out, you definitely see her at one point, like, leaping towards someone to attack. So good for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the, the song, I don't know. It, it didn't seem necessary. The song is good, you said, and um, that part is great, and uh-huh. there's no problems? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm glad we agree. Is it an unbiased observer? <laughs> it is a it's a good song. I don't know to tell you. There's three songs in here, and two in particular are quite good. The other one's well, memorable. I will say, you know, we can talk about how it's over-sexualized for children, but as a it child... It does work for the story. Yeah, and as a child, I, I had no idea what she was singing about. Oh, no. I was just <laughs> like, know. oh, hello. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like I, I wasn't like ooh, sexy mouse at at the yeah. time. Like nothing really happened there. She was just, just set dressing. Yeah, and, I don't know. So yeah, it's weird in retrospect, but I, I don't know. It didn't didn't seem odd at the time. Yeah, kids are kids are like either that's neat or I don't really notice it. Nope. All right, let's go on to our. Spoiler alert! Skip to one hour, seven minutes, and fifty seconds. I guess let's let's just talk with the animation and the whole the whole end scene that involves Big Ben. The original finale was to take place on the hands of Big Ben, with Radigan eventually falling to his demise. However, layout artist Mike Peraza approached Musker with the idea of restaging the final confrontation so that the characters would break through the face of Big Ben with the grinding clockwork gears providing added menace, and Musker agreed to the change. Peraza's inspiration for the scene was a Japanese anime film, The Castle of Cagliostro, which Peraza was a fan of. The film featured a climactic scene involving characters amidst giant turning gears in a clock tower. Peraza and his team were sent to London for video reference and were granted unprecedented access to the clockworks inside Big Ben. Because the bells would chime at every quarter hour, the team completed their research in one hour. Back at the feature animation building, animators Phil Nebelink and Tad Gailau spent months designing the interior of Big Ben, with each gear produced as wireframe graphics on a computer that was printed out and traced onto animation cells, onto which the colors and, and characters were added. The two-minute climax scene thus used computer-generated imagery, making it the first Disney film to extensively use computer animation, a fact that Disney used to promote the film during marketing. Notably, though, not actually... It's not digital. Right. Which is why it looks pretty dang good still, I think. Still noticeable, but, but, but... Yeah. Still good. Yeah, like, it definitely does... I think it does provide that added menace of just, like, a a dangerous environment. Yeah. Yeah. Dynamic. Yeah, definitely. The the one issue I had with that whole scene when they crash into Big Big Ben... Yeah. Is the whole clock face just, like, incandescent? Like, how how is the light (laughs) happening here? I don't know. It's a lit-up clock face. They crash into it and create a hole that is, like, black in color. How is the light happening? (laughs) And then they go on the inside... And it's also lit from the inside. <laughs> Where is this light coming from? 
I don't know. It's a very good question. Uh, I thought that the music in that scene was also interestingly understated for a bit. Like up up until then, it's like needing to rescue uh, Olivia or whatever. But for for a bit there, like the music's really, it doesn't feel climactic. It just feels like low and menacing um, as Radigan's approaching and 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 also attacking him and stuff. And he's like scrambling to not fall. Like the music is is staying down low, which is yeah. interesting. I I appreciated it. It helps give the actual climax something to build towards. Yes, definitely. Uh, Radigan going feral freaked me out as a kid. Mm. Feel like that's worth throwing <laughs> throwing still, out there. Still effective now. Yes, he's, he's just a good villain. He is, and yeah. they just do a really good job animating him. Just, I mean, that's also like a great use of this CGI is to like have him race through it so quickly. This this place that is so well defined with the CGI for him to just race through. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. He's very menacing and scary within his long claws and his stature and all of it. He's good. One of my favorite yeah. things that happened in there is, uh, and it makes it so much, it makes it very clear that they're still, you know, they're still hand animating this, even if they're using the the computer generated uh, gear drawings, is that when that when that one last gear or, or something like clangs closed at the end, it does that thing where it like jiggles and you see like multiple lines to indicate the vibration and stuff like that. So, ah. you know, even, even though it's generated by this this very precise computer drawing, they're still applying, you know, traditional techniques to it to communicate it, you know, in the way that people yeah. are used to. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Oh, and also before I forget, uh Fidget gets um axed <laughs> at the at the end before the actual clock tower moment when mm. they're still uh riding and and they're yeah, floating the balloon chase the balloon chase yeah. was, was good the balloon chase is very fun uh but fidget is the one who's like powering their flying vehicle um with like running uh using it like a bicycle sort of thing he's he's having to turn it um and he's getting tired and he's like we need to like lighten the load or whatever and then of course he gets thrown out to lighten the load and his wings don't work very well so he falls into the river um and so he's 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 a question mark death um but in the actual um novels uh he is confirmed to have survived his fall at the end of the story so the novels at least make it clear that he did not die okay so i choose to believe that he didn't die here either because i like fidget he's a He's a good gremlin of a of a guy. If you're going to start doing that, this death count you keep talking about is going to get pretty low. <laughs> I know, right? I th- I feel like we've really we probably only got like two pretty definite ones. We have one for sure. There's there's only one that's like definite 100 percent. Bartholomew's gone. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Radigan is almost certainly gone at the end of this movie. Um, but you know, you never know. Villains can be really tricky with this. You think they're dead and then they come back. So there's a little bit of question mark there. Plenty of surfaces on the side of Big Ben for him to have caught himself on enough to break his fall. Yeah. Even if he got injured, like, you know, so there's, there could be, I think this death toll could go up to four, but could be as low as, as one. One. It just kind of, it just depends, you know? I choose to believe that it is no higher than two. 
because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Fidget's fine and Felicia is okay. She just loses some fur. She's fine. <laughs> yep, I think that's a good. See. I think spoilers. Yeah, spoily stuff. Oh, just a, a weird voice acting note. They must have run out of time. Couldn't re-record it. That one point where Basil is saying like "closer, Dawson, closer." He repeat he repeats "closer." It's clearly just a, the same line. It's the same. Oh closer. yeah. I think I missed that. That's funny, though. I'm just like, you couldn't, couldn't bring him in for one more. <laughs> right? <laughs> that That's pretty funny. Oh, uh, you were mentioning earlier, but then I had to say that it was spoilers. Do you want to, the, the picture that uh, Basil had them take when they got out of the death trap? Oh, yes. So when, when uh, Basil figures out you know, uh, snaps out of two. I, I also love him being so defeated and just being almost like comatose. And finally, um, Dotson snaps him out of it. But when he escapes the elaborate trap that Radigan has left for them and, and they leap out of the way, then he grabs Dawson and a uh, little Olivia to squeeze in for a picture that snaps, you know, at the right pr- precise time. And that's, I just love it. Yeah. It was, was very perfect. cute. <laughs> His math techno babble was his math oh, techno babble was just was very ridiculous. Silly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the doesn't he say something about the isosceles of a triangle or something? Yeah, like, yeah. It's just absurd things that just like <laughs> anyone who knows what any of these words mean is just like this is nothing. This does yeah. not mean anything. <laughs> just like hacking stuff. Yeah, turns, turns out the things he's he's saying aren't actually applicable to the situation. It's just how he enters into his like proper mental state where yeah, he, he just has to math. say techno babble <laughs> yes yes i math, love it math calculus <laughs> i love it oh and the, i i like how the movie ends with um with it being like that lady uh is at the door and then it's like oh yes me and dawson work on all of our cases together right yeah. he's like Basil oh yeah trying to get a boyfriend right <laughs> and it's like you know good for them <laughs> Dawson's like, yeah, okay, man. Yeah, I'll give it a go. Dawson, Dawson's like, you know, I've never tried, but I'll try it this time. And you know, what am I referring to? I don't know. Things happen. A couple of ways you could take it. There's just some gay mice in this movie. I don't know what to tell you. Radigan and Basil are so gay. It's absurd. <laughs> I do think they they danced right on right on the edge of of queer coding Radigan. Uh, he's he's not like so explicitly queer coding that it that it's uh, frustrating, but it it's clearly there if you want it. Yeah, like it's clearly it feels like it's pretty clearly there for Basil too. Honestly, sure, in in a more uh, heroic, British way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, no, they're. I mean, and they're also just a joy to watch. So sure. Anything else with spoilers? No more spoilers. Let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite scene in the movie? And if any of this is in spoilers, just be vague. Uh, Chinese mouse. Oh, yeah. yeah, 100%. Yes, thank you. I was like, hmm, what is it? But then, yes. Yes, that. Yeah, I, I'm going to jump on that, that I'm too, 100% because... down for the idea of him entering and being in a disguise so heavy that you don't can't even tell that it's the character that you then see later. Just not a racist caricature, please. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah. what makes it one of the worst scenes too. Not only because of the racism, but it literally like makes 
a plot point later make no sense where Radigan's like mocking him for his terrible disguise. Yeah, like it's a, like, a why didn't you a wear a, a better disguise then? <laughs> you clearly have these insanely, uh, have the ability to produce these insanely detailed, like, rubber mask costume things. Right. Like, <laughs> I wonder if that's part of why he's so depressed, is he's like, I can't believe I thought I could use one of my worst disguises and it'd be fine. Should have... <laughs> Should have used one of the better ones. Should have made a new one just for this scenario. He's kicking himself. <laughs> Should have made a mess. Could have had another racist disguise to you. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely definitely the worst part. What was your favorite scene in the movie? I'm, I think for me it has to be the climactic Big Ben scene. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that's just really, really iconic for me as a child. Um, yeah. And for a lot, I think, I think for a lot of people, um, it looks really neat. The villain gets real scary. It's, it's a good time. It's a good, it's a good climax for a, for a film. To me, it's kind of a tie between that and then the other spoiler where Radigan's demise for them does not go as planned. It's good. Yeah. um, Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I didn't really... Uh, see this film as a kid but we did have one of those sing-along video things and of course they had Radigan in there and so that's the thing that like I visually remember is the like I had that one also yeah the bottle of uh, champagne or whatever like swinging with the fountains and all of that and so I'm kind did they have the whole Bartholomew's demise part in in that, or did they cut that out? They cut that out. Like, yeah. they, I think they, I think they had where he says rat. Yeah, and they like all gasp, and then maybe it like cut. May, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards that. I'll go with that. That's good. Yeah. No. That's fair. No, no. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I, I was kind of uh, switching between that one and the Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Uh, man, that's a tough one. I think when it comes down to it, the scene that I most remember when I think about this movie, or when I thought about it before rewatching it, was the champagne fountain. Yeah. <laughs> what was that scene? I don't know that I, I didn't have the sing along. I don't think, but the, for some reason that particular part stuck with me. So uh, I'm gonna go with that. Who was your least favorite character in the movie? That's really tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess was- maybe. F- Maybe Hiram Flaversham? I don't dislike him, mm. but I probably care about him the least. I think maybe him? I, I like think... him more than I like the queen. Oh, you're right, Can't though. I'm not big on the queen. She's pretty nothing in the story, the though. She is an important part of the story. But well, least favorite character true. doesn't have to be someone that you want removed from the movie or anything. Just who you enjoyed the least. Maybe the queen, actually. I don't really care for her and, you know the monarchy itself <laughs> but that's a this different thing monarchy, yes <laughs> but no i just yeah she's not i'm not i'm not big on her as a character yeah i think i think i i'll go with the queen yeah i'll agree yeah i i will too because i was just trying to think because to me like if i said some of the characters in the in the bar scene i don't think there are enough of characters to really count I don't think so. so i would just say the queen yeah, no, I suggested her, but it's not me. That's not mine. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. No, yeah, uh, uh, she's she's just there's not not a lot going on with her. I mean, I know that she is you know integral to the, like the the she's the plot mechanics important. of his plan. Yeah, yeah, but 
just don't care for stuff that's going character. on. Yeah. yeah. It's least favorite character. Who was your favorite character? This one's also probably difficult. <laughs> yeah, this is very difficult. I, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I do have to give it to Radigan, though. Yeah. I, he's just iconic, you know? He's just... He's just very good. Vincent Price does a great job. The animators do a great job. He he gets two villain songs. He gets two of them in one movie <laughs> that has like three songs. Good for him. Basil's like uh, unapologetic, but but not like sociopathic dislike of children. <laughs> Is, yeah. is so appealing to me. <laughs> I thought I thought it might be Basil's up there for me, but I do think I I do think I can easily be like, well, he did do the racist thing though, so he gets a point down from Radigan. <laughs> That's true. Radigan's a murderer, but at least he's not racist. <laughs> I do absolutely adore Basil, but I'm going to have to go with the Radigan. I'm going to have to go with Radigan, too, because of Vincent Price, and because not only is he an incredible villain, and again, because he's Vincent Price, no, but also the best use of a cape. You know, there's so many villains that try to rock a cape, but man, he rocks a cape and uses it so well. So, yeah. And a top hat. <laughs> Did you actually say... Ryan, or are you still uh, thinking? Um, man, it's tough. I really want to say Basil just because of his unapologi- unapologetic <laughs> dislike of children. Um, but man, Radigan is so good. Yeah, I'll go with Radigan. This movie was a musical, albeit not one with a, a lot of songs. Um, but what was your least favorite song? Uh, if you guys need to think about it, that's cool. I'm going to start uh, with, or probably what's I assume is going to be a controversial choice. Uh, Radigan is is my least favorite. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> ah. It's definitely I. The world's greatest opin- criminal mind. Yes, the world's greatest criminal mind. My opinion on it is that it is quite catchy. It's not really that great a song. He speaks a lot of it instead of sings it. It gets broken up a whole lot, even in the soundtrack version. It's just. I know I heard it a whole bunch on a Disney sing-along, but it's still... I feel like it's the weakest as a song of the three songs. So... Yeah, so Let Me Be Good to You, least favorite. I, I mentioned before, it didn't need to be there. The... <laughs> I'm just, like, shaking, shaking my head. head. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it didn't need to be there. And, like, he... Radigan... Like that, that is our world's greatest criminal mind. It, it's a performance. It's the the whole thing. I understand. Uh, and and yeah, like it'd be thinking about it. If that if the uh, let me let me be good to you wasn't there, like it would be he would be the thing making it a musical. But he's so theatrical, like it fits. Uh, and again, like yeah, I don't think the song needed to be there. So. He really does have the only song that is like a, a, a um, someone breaking into song. Let Me Be Good to You is a performance at a club and Goodbye So Soon is a recording he made. So yeah, that that is interesting that that's the only part in the movie in which characters break into song. 
and they are used to it. Oh yeah, those guys this are is like, not uh, the first time. Again, yeah. okay. <laughs> they probably sing this song a lot. Yeah, they've been practicing balancing on the like that guy carrying them while they hold. <laughs> yes, it's been they've been practicing lots of rehearsals. <laughs> yes. I think I'm going to agree with Valerie um, that my least favorite song is Let Me Be Good to You. I, uh, it's interesting. I think it speaks to the relative strength of, of, of the few songs in general that amongst the four of us, we each chose one of the three because I am going with, I'm going to go with Goodbye So Soon. Uh, I'm, I'll take your, your word for it, Danica, that it's a bop on the soundtrack version where it's less broken up. But uh, as it stood in, in the show, I just didn't get to enjoy it that much as a song. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with that one. Cause, yeah, because yeah, Let Me Be I, Good To You goes on for quite a while before it starts becoming background music. And, and the world's greatest criminal mind is just such a performance. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Goodbye So Long. Which was your favorite song? I think mine is going to have to be World's Greatest Criminal Mind because I can't stop singing Radigan, even though that's really almost the only lyric I know. <laughs> <laughs> My memory has gotten so They do bad. also say it's the like world's greatest criminal mind. Yes, yes. But Radigan, no Radigan. I just, yeah. I just have that in my head. But I did really, my close second is the saying goodbye to you. Goodbye so soon. Goodbye so soon. And there's soon. also only three songs. There yes. is only <laughs> three songs. <laughs> this is true. Um, I, Greatest Criminal Mind is very much a performance, but I love the audacity of recording a death song for your <laughs> rival. And so I'm going to go with goodbye so soon. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with world's greatest criminal mind. I just love it so much. It's stuck in my head for a long po- portion of my life, mm-hmm. uh, and it is just such a wonderful, wonderful performance. I, I love it also because the, those that the the thugs and they they basically got Bartholomew killed. They set up the yeah. rhyme. <laughs> yeah. They really did, didn't they? They set up the rhyme for him to say rat and got Conspiracy him killed. Conspiracy theory. Do you think that they were wanting to get rid of Bartholomew? <laughs> Bartholomew's no, a drunk. He makes sad. us look bad. Let's get him <laughs> out of here. We're not going to be happy about it. And then those three guys, go. those three guys who were like upset about it, they were his actual friends. But yeah. the other guys, I don't I have no idea. They might have been the same people. I literally don't know. <laughs> or maybe they expected it to not go that far. How could they not expect that? Though? I don't know. They know what happens. <laughs> um, Valerie, I'm very glad that you said goodbye so soon because I would have needed to, I, I would have been very torn and needing to rep that. So that leaves me free to say, <laughs> let me be good to you. It was my favorite song. It's a bop. <laughs> it's a bop. Like it a and it was formative in a formative experience in my childhood. And I do, I genuinely, I get what you're saying in that it could be removed and like the plot and stuff isn't going to change, you know? Uh, but I genuinely, I do genuinely kind of enjoy the atmosphere that it provides to this like rough and rowdy bar. And it's like one of the only things that can get them to chill out is like a sexy lady doing a cabaret dance or whatever. Like I, and the guy playing the piano is like, okay, good. They're not going to throw stuff at me this time. Like I do enjoy what it does for the scene. Sure. Um, so yeah, I I like that song a lot. Though "Goodbye So Soon" is also a very close second for me. Again, there's only three songs. <laughs> only three songs. <laughs> what character would Tim Curry have played if he were in the movie? 
Can't be, cannot be Rattigan. Can't replace Vincent can't Price. Replace so. Price. Even um, though I do love uh, Tip Curry as a, as a good villain, but so no, he my, cannot replace Fidget My Vincent thought, he, uh, so, so yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think he could. I think it would be, unless, yeah, it would, it would be too close to Vincent Price, I think, in terms of. Yeah, uh, it would make Fidget feel, I, it, I think you'd have a hard time making him not. Like, he'd have to be doing, like, a weird voice for him to still kind of have the same weird energy Fidget has. And if he doesn't have that, if he has kind of just, you know, more Tim Curry's voice that he does, he's going to feel kind of weirdly, like, like competent and like he could be any sort of... A rival to... Yeah. What if they speed it up? Maybe. (laughs) But here's here's my... more than one voice. Oh, 100%. He definitely does. Uh, I think he could do it. I'm not sure if that's the best fit for him. My thought is that he could be Dad Flaversham. Mm. And we can have warm, nice Tim Curry mm. because we've already got Vincent Price here doing our super evil voice. So let Tim Ooh, Curry wait. do his nice, warm version of Tim Curry. Ooh, wait, bringing it back from early in the podcast, old ladies for him to play. How about the queen? Mm, yes. Yes. Thank you for digging that one back up. I feel like it's been a bit. Yes. Make him the queen. No explanation. That's just what she sounds like. I love it. That's it. That's it. We found it. We did it. That one's been solved. (laughs) Let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate this movie. I think it's safe to say that we all recommend it. I definitely So I think we can move past that. No, I don't. Really, babe? We all recommend the movie. So just what would we rate it? Do you need some ratings, Ryan? We'll pull mm, them up. Nah. Live life in a vacuum. Um, okay. Solid 3.25. Nice. You put that out pretty quick, too. Yeah. Nice. I can respect that. It's not... The plot is not, you know, like, blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, the animation, while good, is never, like, so outstanding that it we, you know, we never really talked about the animation being crazy good, except for maybe the computer-generated gener- stuff. Um, and that was mostly just because it was interesting. So yeah, three point two five. That seems that seems fair. What you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like a really that's a that's a solid rating. I will. I'll go with the same. Solid movie. Unfortunately, there's like a problematic thing, but it is not mm. a linchpin in the film that like really drags it down. Um, it's like it didn't need to be there at all. They could have easily cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> the music was good. Um, the characters were were entertaining. Like, yeah, solid film. I think I'm going to say 3.5. I think I would have been like a 3.75 if there wasn't, you know, the racist scene and them having to vilify our awesome kitty cat. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say a solid 3.5 because I enjoyed it so much. And because, because, you know, I'm, I do enjoy villains, not as much as you, I mean, a good villain, but to me, this is not now nearly as much as me. not nearly as much as you, not even a fraction as much as you. I understand that. But as villains go, this is just one of the most enjoyable villains ever. I mean, you know, or, you know, in in things that I've seen in any kind of recent time, and it, I adore Vincent Price, and he just, this is, to me, just one of his 
It's just a great, just a great depiction. It is. It's iconic. And, and I enjoyed it more than I even remembered enjoying it. So I guess, so, so as far as enjoyability, this is definitely one I could see again. And I just really liked it. So yeah, 3.5. I agree with you, mom. I will give this a a 3.5. This is at least as good as Return of Jafar. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Return of Jafar doesn't have the racist moment in it, but then you can also have a conversation about if the entire Aladdin franchise is kind of racist. Anyways, um, it's good. I like it a lot. Um, there's lots of good stuff in here. Um, Radigan is one of the, the greats of all time. There's all the, all the songs, I think, have something interesting going on with them. And it's interesting the ways that they can all be appreciated or not appreciated, which is, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and I just think it's good. I think it's a good movie. And if you've, for some reason, haven't watched it, watch it. Uh, right. I agree with uh, one person that I was reading online that was covering Disney Renaissance films that everyone likes to pinpoint The Little Mermaid as the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. And I agree that that is incorrect. This is the beginning of the Ooh. Disney Renaissance. Because uh, the Disney Renaissance isn't necessarily about, oh, those movies from the 90s we remember that were good. <laughs> it's about this period where, that, where they have this change in leadership that that led to doing movies a bit differently, that led to them being more successful. And just, I feel like this is the start. This is, this is where it begins. They were there at the tail end of Black Cauldron, but this one they had a lot more hands in creating it and making it what they wanted this period to be and i think it's a sign of how the disney movies would continue to to get better and and be great during this period so and correct me if i'm if i'm wrong but didn't in one of the expansion packs of of a villain or villainous they they rat radigan is one of the villains you can play indeed and he yes. has a whole thing where he can be flipped into rat mode oh, okay okay <laughs> um, if his say, plans are he... thwarted by by the heroes so. yeah because again he's one of the best villains ever yeah he's okay. great all right the, the the this movie is you could i think you said as much at the beginning in your for your fun facts that this movie basically saved disney animation from the point of view of its uh, shareholders and stuff like they were, (laughs) they were having serious doubts about the ongoing viability of animation as a product for Disney. And this essentially saved it. Yeah. Which seems, but made it seem possible. Exactly. That seems as good a reason as any to have it mark the upswing for Disney animation while black cauldron is this, the end of the dark age basically for Disney animation. Um, whether or not you enjoy the film is, is irrelevant, but in terms of general reception and, um, how they did at the box office and everything like, yeah, this is the start of Disney coming back. Disney a little more made wouldn't necessarily exist if Musker and Clements hadn't, and the other guys that people don't remember as much <laughs> directed this movie. Um, yeah, it's good. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you. And Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. Yes. And I'm always happy to be here. <laughs> Yay. And please join me on my um, on my Twitch uh, live Twitch stream every Tuesday, 7 p.m. CST. Um, I am playing Witcher 3 this second season and it's so much fun you all you just you know 
we have a good time we do and and yeah and danica and Valerie are awesome they say me Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) so yes come come join us for the fun and next time we will be watching a movie set on earth but not this one instead a middle earth of sorts (laughs) (laughs) thanks (laughs) that's what that deserved Thank you all very much for listening, and we hope you join us next time. Yes, love y'all. Bye. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 279-0566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. <laughs> the show's so uh, fake. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>